I'm SP from Better Podcasting, a show dedicated to help make your podcast better. And it is part of the Get a Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other insightful and wonderful geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. You are listening to the Starling Tribune, a podcast dedicated to the Arrow TV show. I am the Green Arrow. The Green Arrow has entered through the front door. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, situations, and stories are the properties of Time Warner. I am the Oracle, and this is your Tribune. Welcome back to Earth 2's last newspaper, the Starling Tribune, now broadcasting from an Earth 1 shelter. I am the chief editor tonight. My name is SP, and your other award-winning reporters, which the awards are back on Earth 2, which doesn't exist anymore, for this episode number 252 of the Starling Tribune are Chris. Don't think he texts. Yeah, I don't think the monitor has a smartphone. I, I, don't, I, I wonder how he does arrange meetings. We'll have to get into that later. I mean, if he did, imagine the data plan to go cross Earths. If there was such a data plan, that'd be pretty cool. That would be like the ultimate VPN. Yeah. So you could get all sorts of TV shows that way. <laughs> and Michelle. We honor the dead by fighting for the living. You know, I want to take a pause a moment on that one because I listened to that and I was like, did we hear that previously in the series somewhere? Was that a repeat statement? Probably. It sounds like something we'd have heard from elsewhere. Yeah, it feels like either a repeat line or a repeated sentiment. I'm pretty sure we've heard it before. And listener, if you know where that specific quote is from, we honor the dead by fighting for the living. Let me know. I would appreciate it. You can hit us up on Twitter at Starling Tribune. You can email me, StargatePioneer at GunnaGeek.com, or you can join our Discord server at GunnaGeek.com slash Discord. Now back to the show. This podcast is recorded on Thursday, October 24th, 2019, live on www.geeks.live. That's right, and this evening we'll be discussing the most recent episode of Arrow, as well as news, interviews, articles, and announcements have dropped in the past week that could let's be honest, will impact future episodes of Arrow, as well as the greater universe. So that includes The Flash, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, Batwoman, and a bunch of other things I'm forgetting because they've all blurred together because I have far too much CW DC TV to watch now. If you're new to the show, thank you for searching us out on the internet and joining us. After the show, you can check out our content at gonnageek.com. We can also find other geeky videos, podcasts, and articles. Thanks, guys. Michelle, let's just dive right into it. Why don't you go ahead and break down the episode of Arrow that we watched this week? Sure thing. This week's episode was called Welcome to Hong Kong. It's season eight, episode two. It aired Tuesday, October 22nd, 2019. Directed by Antonio Negret. Credits include three Supergirl, five Arrow, four of the hundred, two Legends and one Flash. Written by Sarah Tokov. Credits include 13 episodes of Arrow and Joe Blankenship. Credits include five episodes of Arrow and seven of The Last Ship. So this week that the episode aired that we're talking about with Arrow was a full slate of currently 
broadcasting CW shows that are DC comic book based. The only one that we're without is Legends of Tomorrow, which doesn't come back until January. So we're going to start on Sunday, the 20th of October. Batwoman aired the third episode of their series so far with the episode titled Down, Down, Down. I actually enjoyed this episode quite a bit to a live rating of 1.22. Following Batwoman, Supergirl aired the third episode of the fifth season titled Blurred Lines to a live rating of 0.92. I'll admit I'm only about halfway through the episode right now, and I'm, yeah, just watching it to get to the crossover at this point. Monday, the 21st of October, Black Lightning aired the third episode of the third season titled The Book of Occupation, Chapter 3, Agent Odell's Pipe Dream to a live rating of 0.61. That's close to a... DC comic book CW network low. I think Arrow oh. also achieved a point six one at one point but, in time. But that was when they aired an episode on Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving week, wasn't it? When Arrows was that low. So, wow. So this is Monday night. You're competing with Monday Night Football, probably to a similar crowd that's watching it. And they wanted to see the Star Wars trailer that debuted at halftime. That's yeah, what it was. lots of people did. And on Tuesday, the 22nd of October, Flash aired the third episode of the sixth season titled Dead Man Running to a live rating of 1.38. I, I did enjoy it. I, I enjoyed the Dibney and the Frost aspects of this, uh, I guess, beeline stories of this episode. But I think both Flash and Arrow, which we were talking about, Welcome to Hong Kong, the second episode of the eighth season a live rating of 0.77 i think the two of them i am liking the two of them back to back because they're the only two that are marching down to the crisis mode so it's like watching a two-hour preview every week to crisis i'm kind of glad about that so really getting it on there and uh arrow getting a 0.77 that is light i think for what's going on because they're as much of crisis as flash is and i'm kind of disappointed they're not hanging on to a lot of that audience as they go into the second hour I have to admit, I watched Batwoman, Supergirl, Flash, and Arrow on the website. Okay. I mean, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. So basically, the only detriment of watching it on the website is that you cannot fast forward through the commercials. Yeah, but there's not that many commercials, and it does get annoying watching the same commercial three times in a row. But otherwise, it's no problem. I was just sitting here and it was just more convenient for me to be at my desk while watching them. And it's nice to have the website or the app. It's just nice. Yeah. yeah a lot of people, a lot of college students, college age, uh, high school age students, a lot of them are watching it via streaming now. So I can see this as streaming catches on more and more. I'm not really focused on the fact that the ratings are so low compared to where they were when the Arrowverse started. I'm more concerned about the differentiation between the live rating of Flash and the live rating of Arrow when I think that most of the audience should stick around for both hours. I have to agree, especially since everyone knows this is the last season of Arrow. I kind of thought maybe there would be more, oh, it's the last season. Maybe I should catch it, and it's only 10 episodes, so maybe I should watch it live or watch it on DVR or something. And if you are listening to this podcast and you're interested in Arrow and you usually watch it on the CW app, I would encourage you to watch it on the CW network just because it's a good show and get it while it's hot sort of thing. But it's available for the next, I guess, five weeks, right, on the CW app. 
Watch it however you can. For a lot of folks nowadays, it's just more comfortable to pull it up on the app or something whenever they've got time, be it they're at the gym working on the treadmill or something like that. CW knows who's watching and who doesn't, especially when you use the app. I'm sure their advertisers are very well dialed in to what you're watching there. Yeah, as Michelle says, you do get the same commercial over and over again, especially if you're watching multiple shows because they don't really change the advertisers between the shows, so you just get them over and over again. Anyway, we're going to get on to the actual substance of the episode here. We're going to talk about the overall theme. We often link the overall theme to the title of the episode, which I think was appropriate. They're marching us down memory lane. The title was Welcome to Hong Kong. Michelle, how does that relate to the theme of the episode? Well, not only do they go back to Hong Kong, China White actually says the thing. She actually says, welcome to Hong Kong. Um, the monitor has sent Oliver to Hong Kong in order to get this Dr. Wong for his mysterious reasons. And one of the things I liked about this episode, there was a lot of fights and we had Katana back. I just want to say something about the first two fights before we go into anything. We had the hallway fight, you know, was started by Oliver and Diggle. Laurel comes in, saves everybody with her canary cry. And then at Argus, when the gang bust in, you know, Diggle and Oliver were fighting and such. Katana burst through the window, saving their guys. I just like the first two fights. Basically, the guys are being saved by women. I think that's awesome. I was enjoying the fight choreography in this. There wasn't any long hallway fight cut scene or elevator fight scene or anything like that i mean there were good fights you could clearly see there were cuts in them though and yeah i enjoyed them i enjoyed them a lot he got back to the theme of oliver in his early years really having to brawl it out and really fight around there the one regret i had with this episode is we did not get selena jade as shado's sister in this at all we just got katana which is good it was good that we got katana but we did not get Selena Jade, which I don't know if she's coming back or not. I, I hope we get her sometime in this uh, last eight episodes now. But if we don't, we don't. And we just move on. And I'm glad that we have Katana, that she didn't die at the end, right? She was actually saved. She lives. She lives. She's around for the Arrowverse longer. Yeah. Yeah, it was really interesting. We have Diggle is there. And they have to find this doctor. And of course, I think one of my favorite things was uh, Diggle going to this place and he says Harbinger sends her regards and it gets him into like this Argus room. And Oliver says, this would have been a lot more convenient, not, you know, 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, just knowing that you had a safe house like that. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, it would have made life much easier. And then we even have the callback to the Alpha Omega virus. And it, it really is sort of like a trip down. We had China White. We had the triad. We had giving her the virus again and for an exchange. I mean, SP, did you like sort of like this trip down memory lane in a way? So far, the season's been one big trip down memory lane. And I don't see it stopping anytime soon because next episode, we're going to Nana Parbat and a little bit about that later. But the thing that I'm worried about here with the Omega virus is the monitor wants it for some reason. And I don't try at this point, I'm not trusting the monitor. I'm not steeped in the comics, by the way. So I don't know this whole crisis storyline. I'm not all in, especially with Harbinger right there working with him and, and working behind Oliver and Diggle's back. So I don't know. We'll see what happens here. 
You know, I really like that last fight between Katana and China White. I really just liked how the women were featured in this episode. And give me some good sword play and I'm always having fun. I know. And then I was really worried when China White stabbed Katana. I really thought that was going to be the end of Katana. But fortunately, Laurel comes and saves the day. And okay, Chris, I know Laurel is not your favorite. I love Laurel. She is great. Yay. But I don't know about you, but the pain on her face when she really learns about how Earth 2 is gone. Yeah, I agree. That was very well done. I think this is uh, some of the best work we've seen from Katie Cassidy as Laurel Lance. Any incarnation we've had of, of Laurel Lance in this show. I think she nailed it this week. And Stephen Amell was preparing people for that. I, I think it was Stephen that had said something on Twitter about this is probably some of the best work I've seen her do on this show this week. She's really good. And she was really good. And they're continuing to set this character up to be far more interesting for the future spinoff that they're going to do. And Let's be honest, at least from my point of view, the Laurel Lance we have now is far more interesting to me than the Laurel Lance that Damien Dark killed, what was it, four seasons ago? Three seasons ago? It's been a while. Still don't 100% buy the redemption arc, but you can kind of toss it out the window now and you're like, oh, your Earth is gone. Okay, that might be enough to put anyone back on a different path. Yes, I know she was on a different path before that, but those that had their doubts, such as myself, could be like, okay, yeah. Redemption path, I kind of buy it because you're PO'd that your earth is gone and everyone that you know is dead. She had a, a journey in this episode alone. So she had the, the grieving, the denial. And then when she went to go have the portal, I forget what they call it, the portal device fixed and it was fixed and they just weren't receiving a signal from earth two and they knew they acknowledged the fact that everything was dead on earth too that was horrific even for harbinger and they really had to deal with that uh on this earth because this earth doesn't really understand that earth two is gone yet i don't even think barry understands it's gone yet over on the flash and spoilers i guess minor spoilers if you're not watching the flash right now but they know that something's coming to earth one but i don't think they uh, know that earth two is gone yet and i think that would hit them pretty hard especially with jesse quick and with the um the wells version over there so i uh, right now it's just filtrating through earth one uh for oliver and also by the way i don't know if we're going to talk about this later but team arrow was not in this episode you just had basically ota minus felicity although felicity was in flashbacks but you just had Diggle, you had Laurel, and you had Lila and Oliver, and that was it. You didn't, well, Katana, but you didn't have the original Team Arrow or the current Team Arrow on it. You are correct. I have to say, with this, though, I really enjoy how we continue to deal with the impact of Earth 2's destruction and the fallout it has on certain characters. Oliver trying to live with the fact that. Because he tried to do more than what the Monitor told him to do. That's arguably what caused Earth 2 to be destroyed. Laurel trying to deal with the fact that everything she knows is gone. And Diggle to some extent trying to grapple with the fact the stakes might even be bigger than he initially thought they were. I mean, it's one thing to hear Oliver talk about a crisis is coming. But then you see an entire Earth get destroyed in front of you. And even Lila to a lesser extent. At the end of the episode when she's talking to the Monitor and says Johnny was there. Being upset about the fact that her husband got sent to this Earth that 
was destroyed right in front of his eyes. He could have been taken out with it too. The destruction of Earth 2, it's traumatic and it's leaving shockwaves through all of the main characters we have in the present day timeline and Arrow. And I think it's important. And you could argue that it was a very uh, ballsy move to destroy Earth 2 in the premiere because we know a lot about it. Flash has been going back and forth between Earth 2 for what, six seasons now for various things. And it's almost like our, our second home. And now it's gone and everyone's struggling with its destruction and their part they potentially played in it. It's really helped set the stakes for this crisis. And I love the fact this week, Oliver didn't brush off what happened and just kind of move on, that it was always in the back of his mind. And I think Stephen Amell did a pretty good job of kind of portraying that fact of Oliver always looking slightly troubled, even when things are going right, because it's his fault. All of those deaths he thinks is on him. Which they aren't, but he doesn't know that yet. He's being manipulated, and I'm sure he'll come to realize that. But right now, it puts that seed of doubt back in Oliver Queen. And it's also kind of going back to an earlier version we've had of Oliver Queen, where there's always that sea of doubt as to whether he was doing the right thing to honor his father's memory and things like that. So, troubled Oliver, we're back to old school ways of thinking here. We have the fact that Oliver... uh, I'm trying to figure out a way to phrase this here oliver is he thinks he's responsible but we know he's not but he takes katana's advice and he starts questioning the monitor he's like i need to find out a little bit more about what's going on before we just hand over the doctor of course lila just hands over the doctor so they don't have that card to play they don't know it but he's starting to think in terms that not everything is on the level with the monitor And I still don't understand why Earth 2 had to be destroyed just because Oliver disobeyed something. I think there's more to it than that. I think it's also Oliver's finally getting over all of his shock from basically finding out that, oh, Kara and Barry are going to die, making a deal that he we assume is he's basically going to die in place of them. And then having the monitor show up when he's about to get his happily ever after, at least for a little while, and be like, I need you. So his happily ever after lasts, what, like six months? And then he's back here on what he thinks is a path towards his death. I mean, anyone would be a little shell-shocked there and potentially not thinking through everything going on around them. And he's fine because of uh, Katana finally putting the pieces together and being like, wait a second, I need to get past my own shelled shock or my own trauma that I've got here and try and figure out what the bigger picture is because maybe I am getting played. And it sort of looks like he's getting played to an extent. The monitor is manipulating all the pieces on the board, and Oliver Queen, where he thought he might have been a more valuable piece, say a knight or a rook, might actually be a pawn in the monitor's eyes right now. Yeah, I know. Chris, have you read Crisis, the comic? It's been years. I have read it, yes, but we're probably talking 15 years ago that I last read it, so that would put me at like 18, 19. (laughs) It's been a bit. Yeah, and I I read it, well, it was like a year or two ago, I can't remember, but It's kind of weird because this is a very interesting adaptation because they only have a fraction of the characters available than what was in the comic book. No, you don't understand. Like the comic book had BC characters from like dinosaurs and everything. If you ever saw that character somewhere, they probably appeared in Crisis and George Perez drew it beautifully. Yeah. And it was just, it was a lot. So it's going to be interesting to see how they are going to adapt. The core part, I don't really want to spoil anything because the whole, like Supergirl, 
The Monitor appeared on Supergirl, and he basically did two things. He might have done something with Lex Luthor's body, but this week's episode of Supergirl made it seem as though his body's not gone. Like, they would have known that, or maybe they haven't told Supergirl that the body is gone and they didn't find the body. But anyway, and then the other one was John Jones's brother, and we're getting a lot of his brother stuff on Supergirl. And I'm just sort of trying to figure out where the anti-monitor is going to be connected. Like, is the anti-monitor connected in like the Supergirl part with what's going on? Like, is, or is it, I don't know, something else? Because we don't have Psycho Pirate yet. And there's a lot of, there's a couple of other characters we don't have yet that hasn't been introduced yet. So I'm just sort of trying to figure out like what angle they're going to do. That's part of my brain. My guess is Anti-Monitor is going to come in some way, shape, or form in the Supergirl side of things to better start pulling this in. Because Flash and Arrow, SP mentioned it when we were talking about the ratings, they're all pretty well linked together dealing with the crisis at this point in time. And Supergirl's got their own story going on, so if you have the Anti-Monitor appear there, that kind of hooks them together real quick, probably a couple episodes before the actual crossover. What I think would be interesting for them to do to introduce the Anti-Monitor, but I don't think they would do, would be introduce them in Black Lightning. You need some more eyes there right now. And if you say, hey, we've got big crisis stuff that's going to occur on Black Lightning prior to the crossover, it could draw a few more eyes to that product. Of course, the trade-off is you could also have a bunch of people like, I don't watch that show. I'll just see the clip on YouTube when it comes out. So my guess is Supergirl. I think it'd be interesting if they went Black Lightning and introduced Anti-Monitor. The only way I, I see them introducing it in Black Lightning is they truly want to better integrate the show into the universe, and I don't think they do right now. There is no link whatsoever between the current storyline in Black Lightning and anything remotely outside of it. There's no indication that they're superheroes out of Friedland, which is the town that they live in, and I just don't see it. I'm having a rough time seeing it in Supergirl right now because Supergirl has its own definite storyline of or actually a couple of storylines which i'm not a, an incredible fan of but that would probably be the likely thing especially since it's been the trio of shows for a while but then again you got batwoman too and batwoman's got a lot of eyes on it because it's a new show and everybody's That's, interested in gotham i should have thought of that you're right it should be it's going to be batwoman because psycho pirate was an, is an arkham and it, what gets me is we don't really know which universe Batwoman is in. I thought the last year's crossover seemed to indicate that it was in a separate universe from the ones that we have seen our main heroes in. I thought it was in Supergirl's universe. I'm wondering if they're leaving that ambiguous so when crisis happens, they can stick it in where they want to. Okay. I mean, it may not matter. My personal thought is crisis may still merge all these worlds similar to who what we saw in other representations of crisis in comics and cartoons and stuff like that. So, SP, is there anything about the main part of the show you want to talk about? It was great seeing Chenna White again. Uh, it was good that they referenced where she came from, how she got out, and the whole issue with Diggle before and the, the fact that Diggle got fired on it. So I'm glad they opened up that can of worms just for this episode, just to get through this episode and go down memory lane and and also it was interesting with um the the combination of lila in there as well and 
yeah, we'll see what happens next week. I'm, I'm excited. I mentioned it before. I'm excited about where they're going next week just to uh, see what's happening because we've all speculated for years about what's going on over there. And, you know, I don't think my favorite actor is going to be involved because she's uh, got her own major show right now and doing very well with it. But I just can't wait to see what they've got in store for us next week based on what they've done last week and what they did this week and what they're telling us in this in the promo where we're going next week chris i really enjoyed the fact that right before all this goes down and there's the final fight with china white and things like that oliver reaches out to her and is like there's a crisis coming there's bad things happening effectively we should put this aside and work together and she doesn't care and honestly if you weren't involved in oliver's inner circle you probably wouldn't even understand what he's talking about about a crisis coming you'd be like what's this dude talking about i don't give a crap just give me my virus here that's gonna pay me but i like the fact that oliver is trying to think of the bigger picture there and be like this is stupid i don't need to be fighting these people let's just work together and try and save everything that's coming just they don't understand what's coming yet and I think it could be interesting. Maybe this opens the door so that China White appears in the crossover now in some way, shape, or form. I know the crisis is something that is just so large and it's almost like incomprehensible to like day-to-day -day people. But I will say this. Anytime I see a character show up from the past now or in some way, shape, or form, I'm like, hmm, I wonder if they're going to be in crisis now as we're doing this trip down memory lane and seeing actors we haven't seen on the show in a while. I'm like, hmm. Did this open the door for them to appear on Crisis? Because everyone else is on Crisis. Let's just put everyone who's ever been in the show on Crisis. <laughs> I think with uh, over on the Marvel side of things, we've had Avengers Endgame, and that kind of opens up to a DC response. And DC doesn't have a response to give in the movies, so why not do it here? So why not pull all your stops out that you can get every single character that you can in a meaningful story? They have five episodes, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So in a meaningful five episode arc for a crossover and then just show us all your goods, get us excited about it because everybody was excited about Avengers Endgame for a lot of different reasons. And I think that they could pull it off here for the TV show because DC TV, we're saying it's not exactly connected because it's different universes, but at least they've been developing shows concurrently and of the same ilk and they've been crossing them over where they can like black lightning hasn't been but everything else has been crossover including batwoman and i just think since we've got it let's play with it let's play with the past stuff that we've played with before that we have the rights to and that we can grab the actors for so yeah i'm excited i i am i'm excited to see this consolidation because i'm a big world builder and I, i'm just looking forward to this world building and i think i know where you're going next michelle i just lead turn it a little bit so that's the current main storyline we also have the future storyline that we're talking about and we've talked about in the past like i don't care about this because we don't know if the earth actually gets through it or what's the future look like or whatever this could very well be its final season as well i know we're talking about the spinoff and everything but especially this week i'm like Eh. I was very meh. I don't understand where Mia's coming from. The team has no chemistry now. Like they're just arguing. Are they a team? Is she just bossy to be bossy? I don't care if she's doing the whole Oliver thing. If she's trying to do it, she's not doing it very well. 
even if she's doing the whole season one type of Oliver. I liked William because he is just, you know, sassy and sweet and doing hackety hackety stuff. He does have that lightness sort of like coming in, like you can tell, like even though he's not Felicity's son, he's got a little Felicity in him and that's sort of sweet. But the whole conversation between JJ and Connor and it's just, I don't know. I'm just, eh. I really, really wish the news hadn't gotten out that they're planning a spinoff set in this future world that we've been introduced to because I think that is part of what makes me go, huh, about this because it feels like they're just treading water until they can get to doing more that sets up the spinoff. They're like, we need to get Crisis taken care of and then we can start talking about this spinoff that's going to be set in the future because it doesn't feel to me yet there's any stake in the future stuff that's going on that links into Crisis or any of the other things that are ongoing. It's more of, hey, here's the ongoing tales of a future Team Arrow that played a part in last season's worth of stuff. And I go, but I don't care yet. You haven't hooked me to make me like, oh my god, I've got to see what's going on here. They're not getting along. There's drama, but the drama doesn't really hook me in. I don't know. I, I think I maybe I'd react better if I didn't know this was all gearing towards a spinoff. It does have ramifications for the main storyline a little bit, and it's mostly within the Diggle household. So both Connor and JJ have referenced their dad, which we can assume at this point is Diggle, and no mention is made of Lila. So that is important, at least this episode. I don't think any mention was made of Lila last episode either. I don't think she's a part of this whole thing as it moves on. Wasn't there a quote of like John and Lila were saints? How could they end up that way or something like that? Oh, yeah. They talked about how they were more worried about Connor because the whole bronze tiger thing and the whole JJ feeling. But I think that's perception. Anyway, Mm -hmm. do we have any last thoughts before we wrap this part of the show up? I hope that the future stuff either finds its stride or starts to amount to something that feels like less of treading water. I'm super intrigued with the stuff that's going on in present time that's starting to deal with crisis. It's just, maybe it's also the crisis hype that makes the future stuff feel like kind of a letdown to me right now. I'm just meh on it. We've given Beth Schwartz a lot of credit in the past, and I will continue to give her a lot of credit. And for her not to have hit any sort of home run so far with the future stuff, I think it says something. I, I think... It, maybe there there wasn't just much there to begin with. Well, we'll see if the future stuff gets any better next week. Next week's episode is called Leap of Faith. It's season eight, episode three. It will air Tuesday, October 29th, 2019. Reunited with his sister, Oliver and Thea find themselves searching through a familiar maze of catacombs. John and Lila partner on a special ops mission. It is directed by Katie Cassidy. Yes, the one who plays Laurel. This is her. I guess her directorial debut, so that's awesome. And it was written by Amelia Ortega Aldrich and Elizabeth Kim. Live from the Starling Tribune Earth 2 Shelter on Earth 1, it's the weekly news roundup with Chief News Anchor Michelle Ely. And now, Michelle Ely. Couple of stories this week. They're kind of sad in a way. Uh, The first one, is about Beth Schwartz taking to Twitter to reveal that the show's writer's room is in its last official day. She accompanied the tweet with the rather appropriate hashtag, end of an era. 
seen as certain key sets for the series are already been taken down. And Amel recently revealed that he only has one episode of the series left to film. The fact that the writer's room is coming to a close both is and isn't a surprise. Still, it's yet another heartbreaking indication of the series' impending end. Yeah, I saw a bunch of tweets. I retweeted a bunch of stuff. I liked a bunch of stuff from the writers, all of the writers. Everybody that was involved in Twitter with the writer's room, like their individual accounts, even people that aren't on the writing staff this year, they were congratulating the writer's room because the writer's room has their own Twitter account as it does on, on most of the CW shows here. And yeah, it was, it was really a sad thing to see. Also, Beth Schwartz, her computer went underwater like the day before. So she had to recover from that. And I did tweet her and I said, I told you that slapping water with your computer is not a way to become a superhero. She didn't respond to me, but I know she read it. Okay. I will give credit to the folks over at the writer's room. I thought it was wonderful when they first debuted that at Arrow Writers Twitter account that actually interacted with fans and kind of got in on the joke and the fun of things and explained some of the thoughts behind what might be happening in an episode. And it was great then that that spread to all the other shows that we've gotten in the DC uh, television universe, rather. I don't know that they were the first ones to do it, but they were the first ones that I noticed doing it and started following. And I think it's a delightful trend. And I'm sure it's going to continue with the spinoff and with any of the other superhero shows from this entire team that may come to the CW. So kudos to them for finding an awesome way to interact with the fans. And our second news story, Stephen Amell shared a behind the scenes video of his last scene ever with Gustin's Flash. And it's really cute because Stephen Amell, he accidentally dozed off. He's on the Star Labs set and he is on yeah he's just there and he fell asleep the actor is seen accidentally dozing off on set in full costume before being awakened by gustin's arrival amel noted that he learned much from his co-star over their many years working together both as an actor and through his character that's cool it was a fun little video to see and I, I think it's appropriate that the two of them have a final moment and and this is going to be his final moment with Grant and Grant gets to continue on as being the lead of the Arrowverse as it goes. I guess we call it Flashverse going forward or something. I don't know. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a passing in the mantle there. And we'll see what next year's series look like. I didn't put it in there, but there's a little news thing about how the whole Green Lantern thing is supposed to finally be addressed this year. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Do we believe it? addressed yeah yeah in some way shape or form i mean it's something that's been a fan slash pet theory for years i'm sure we'll get some mention or a comment as an aside during the crisis crossover or we could actually get diggle as green lantern from another universe i mean it's very plausible to have happen okay he's a green lantern over in earth 58 or whatever and then you just leave it alone so if if you guys uh arrow writers you want the money way to do this here's what you do as crisis ends john diggle's dealing with everything that's gone to crap around him and there's a green streak that comes out of the sky and crashes in front of him and you end crisis and you end arrow with him picking up the green lantern ring and then you spin it off into its own show potentially and give me a john diggle as green lantern show and i will watch the ever-living crap out of it make it happen i want david ramsey as a green lantern i want it bad wonderful get 
John Diggle, David Ramsey as a fighter or test pilot in some of these last episodes. Doesn't necessarily have to be that role. He could be the John Stewart analog, which is the the former soldier. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree, Chris. That is the spinoff I want. Mm-hmm. Screw this future stuff. Give me John Diggle as Green Lantern with cosmic crazy stuff going on. Now, I don't think you could afford to make that show on television with the crazy special effects it would probably require for different Green Lantern contraptions, different aliens and things that were out there. But I bet you could make a hell of an animated series on the CW seed. They make Star Wars. They make Star Trek. I- yeah, yeah. But do you know what the budget is for those uh, Mandalorian episodes that they're doing on Disney Plus? They get like four to five million dollars an episode. Okay. How much? Yeah, I don't know the answer to this. How much was the next generation budget per episode? I would wager when you make those dollars, current day dollars, it was not four to five million dollars. So you're saying it's even more. I'm saying it's less. Oh. Yeah, so you could do it. Not in today's world. Yeah, with Green Lantern, he's out flying through space. He's a space cop in a really cool way. You know, we got the Sinestro and the Yellow Ring and, and the Fear and all this type of really cool stuff. And he has to be able to make anything he can from his ring. It's only limited by his imagination. In this case, it would be limited by a budget. Yeah, in, in Star Trek, you've got a couple minutes where you might need special effects. In a Green Lantern TV show, you've probably got half the show where you need to have special effects of some kind to portray what his base powers are or the world around him. It should be pretty fantastic. And you can do a lot with green screen and things like that. We saw them do that with Sanctuary to an extent on Sci-Fi Channel. We've seen them find ways to do it with Stargate and things like that. But it's tough in today's world to do a very special effects heavy television program that's not on one of these streaming services they're like here's your budget and you look at and go holy crap this is huge okay that's fair we'll see what happens i mean an animated series would work they do have the cw seed and now that's all we have for the news well that being said thank you everyone who did participate over in the chat room over at geeks.live but also a giant thank you to those of you that catch the audio episodes over at StarlingTribune.com or the video replays of this over on the official Gonna Geek YouTube channel at youtube.com slash gonna geek. Don't forget, you can download the audio podcast, like I mentioned, from Starring Tribune. Check it out on Spreaker, or just consume the content. We'd love to have you consume it. And remember, you can always catch us as we record live, 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Pacific on Thursdays, and you can catch that at geeks.live. We would love to hear from you. We are the Starling Tribune on Facebook and Instagram at Star Age Tribune on Twitter, and you can call us at 612-888-CAVE. That's 612-888-2283. Well, this brings us to the end of another great episode. Any last words before we sign off? At Stargate Pioneer. Hashtag Katana Lives. At the Chris Farrell. Hashtag I'm gonna text the monitor, Hoss. I didn't know you were going to be able to fit that in. <laughs> I was working on it. I'm sitting here. I was making notes during the episode. I'm like, oh, I've got it right here. Here's my notes. <laughs> I kind of figured. <laughs> it's my shtick. I've got to play it up at least a little bit longer. There was no Haas at all this week. We didn't even get to see Renee. Mm-mm. Thank you very much, Beth. Well, that was mean, Haas. Oh, boy. And I am at Michelle Ely signing off with hashtag Harbinger is here. Oracle, I think we're done here. This was the Starling Tribune. You can leave us feedback at gunnageek.com or check out our archive at starlingtribune.com. Visit gunnageek.com for more podcasts. 
Music by Kevin McLeod can be found at incompetech.com. This podcast is not produced or maintained by the CW, Warner Brothers Television, CTV, or DC Comics. All characters, stories, and situations are the property of Time Warner. No infringement is intended. We will see you for the next episode of CW's Arrow.